Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast. I'm Chaz Hathaway. Today we're going to share a few very short experiences, and then we're going to discuss a really interesting uh, uh, listener email. So we'll start out with this one by Shabani, who lives in India. I was 19 years of age in college at the time. I was riding back home from college in a bus. The bus had an emergency window at the back, approximately 2 foot by 1.5 feet. So it's like, pausing here, it's this, it sounds like it's one of these uh, uh, windows, you know, that's actually connected to the window. This isn't like a door falling open. But, uh, but I ha- she says, I happened to be standing in the bus, leaning against the emergency exit. The bus was moving fast and made a turn. At the turn, the emergency window broke open toward the outside, and I fell out of the bus backward with my head first toward the ground. That is the last thing I remember of the accident. Next instant, I saw myself standing next to my body, lying on the ground, and the first thought that came to me while I looked at my body lying on the ground was, Thank goodness I did not fall. That is someone else lying there. Next instant, I was again in my body, lying on the ground and being woken up. During that time that I was watching my own body, I distinctly remember feeling joy at not being the one hurt. Complete disorientation from my own body, did not recognize my own body, identified myself as being the one watching the other body lying on the ground. I did not feel any pain or feeling apart from feeling happy at not being hurt. I think the whole incident lasted for about one minute at the most. The way that this experience changed me was that I'm no longer scared of death because I know that, firstly, there is no pain associated with death, and secondly, I will not feel sad at having left the ones I loved because I will have no attachments left. I will be free. Okay, that's the end of the experience. Now, this is a very simple experience, and certainly not a lot of things going on in it, but there's a couple of really interesting tidbits that I think are worth mentioning. Uh, For example, um, Shabani says that she thought that it was somebody else that had fallen out because she found herself standing next to her body and she sees this body on the ground. She's like, oh good, I wasn't the one that fell. You know, it's as if for a moment she probably had this panic of, you know, feeling kaboom, you know, the things breaking out, and she's falling, and, and just the next instant she's standing next to her body, she's like, oh, kind of like, that was a close one, kind of thing. And yet, it takes her a bit to realize, wait a minute, hang on. And it sounds like she doesn't realize that while she's out of her body. It's the moment she's back on her body, and she's like, hang on. I thought I wasn't the one that fell. <laughs> and and then she's kind of, you know, reorienting and, and figuring it out. So that's very interesting because she doesn't know she's dead. Now that does come up a lot, people not knowing they're dead. But it's remarkable to me how familiar they feel with their situation. Now, one might assume from this that, well, clearly they're a little zonkers because they, you know, they're floating 10 feet above their body and they're thinking, oh, this is all normal and fine. Oh, who's that on the body, on the ground? Because in the mortal body, if you were floating 10 feet off the ground, you'd be like, ha ha ha, you know, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to fall. And so it's tempting to think that, 
that, oh, well, you must be a little bit bonkers there. You must be out of it in some way. But that's not the case. What seems to be the case is that that part of the body, which goes, ah, is shut down because it's in the body. And the part that's out of the body, because it's separated from the veil, it's probably a little bit in the mindset of the spirit, which is, floating's fine. It's not a big, I mean, this is normal. This is like standing. You know, it's like sitting. It's, it's as normal as anything. And so it's so native to us that we don't even notice it. They, they, when they come back, they, they say, oh, I, I was floating up in the corner of the room. And sometimes they'll say something like, oh, I'm going to hit my head on the ceiling. So there's a little bit of lingering residual, you know, idea. I'm going to hit this thing. But they're not thinking, well, my feet aren't touching anything. I'm just floating here. How am I floating here? They don't usually think that. They just, they just do float there. Just like if you were to wake up in bed, you're not going to think, why am I laying down? What in the world? Why am I laying down? How am I? We don't think that because, of course, that's what you do when you're waking up. You're laying down. Now, if you woke up standing, you might be like, whoa, what? You know. <laughs> and so the point is this feeling of just pure natural. It just feels totally normal for a person when they're in that situation. And yet, they're still out of... They're still breaking their way through and so there's things when they see somebody it's like oh hey it's good to see you you know there's still surprises but they're not as shocking as you would expect from you know us who are hearing these stories and be like why are you not surprised that you're flying through space you're enjoying it you're feeling this absolute love but why are you not screaming with terror i mean if i suddenly shot through the ceiling right now and, you know, say the ceiling opened up and I shot out into space, I would start screaming like crazy. I'd be like, what the heck is going on? You know, but they're not saying that. They're like, oh, this is great. Yeah. And so there's something very natural about flight, about floating, about that spiritual uh, way of being that the moment we leave the body seems to um, take its place in our minds. Okay, so very interesting. That's Shabani. Now let's go to Anne. Oh, no, sorry. Um, actually, I, I, I would like to go to Anne. This, uh, apparently, she shared an experience on the 16th of April, 2002. These are all on enderf.org, by the way. And um, I couldn't find that one. There was one like two days later or something by somebody else. Uh, but it sounds like she probably shared a suicide experience, uh, um, suicide near-death experience. Because she says, it's just like two sentences. She says, this is an addition to, to a submission of 4.16.02. I came back from my experience with a very clear message that suicide is not our choice to make. It is never an option. I think, and then she goes on saying, I think no one who has been there would ever risk not being able to go back. Interesting little message about suicide there. It's not our choice to make. It's never an option. Yes, we have free agency. Yes, it's possible. But it really isn't our choice to be made. We, that, that's just not something we should be doing, basically, is what it sounds like she's saying. I wish I could read her, the rest of her experience because I'd be very interested in hearing what that is. Maybe I'll see if I can find it later. We may have even shared it. I'm not sure if it 
if the date is written wrong or something. Anyway, here's another one, very short. Leanne, she says, I was in a dark space. There were others around me and uh, to both my sides, above and below me. The dark space I was in was almost soupy, filled with liquid mercury. I was floating in that mercury. There was a lighted doorway above me, and the light from outside that door flooded the vast room I was in. I was struggling to make it to the doorway, but somehow I knew that I couldn't make it yet. I realized that I had to stay and help people who were crying out below. Now clearly, this is maybe a level two uh, detail on the detail scale of one to five, might be a level two, might even be a level one. I want to hear more detail. I want to hear, hear some more about there are others around you. Do you see them? Do you Are you just sensing them? Can you hear them? Can you recognize anything of their thoughts, their feelings, life, whatever? I'd be very interested in hearing that. Uh, and then also this doorway above you. Is this like the light? Um, it, you know, I mean, she says, this is a lighted doorway above me and light from the outside of that door flooded the vast room I was in. That's just cool. But the thing that made me think, I got to share this one, is because I have heard many times the description of the void as being not just a blackness, not just a, sometimes even a velvety blackness. They, they said, they'll say the darkness had substance. And I'm like, well, so is this like, you know, an ashy dust or what are we talking? But this person gives a description that suddenly gives it a little bit more sense about it, I guess you could say. They, she says that the dark space I was in was almost soupy, filled with liquid mercury. I was floating in that mercury. Now, I don't, I've never floated in mercury, so I don't know what that feels like, but I'm imagining that it's not as thick as something like, you know, soup like clam chowder or something. And mercury says, is, as I understand, is a very light liquid. So if you could feel it without the um, effects of mercury on your body, I imagine it would be something halfway between air and water, maybe. And so this liquid, a feeling of liquid, that's interesting, interesting that this blackness is. And yet then there's this doorway so that seeing through this liquid is as clear as air and yet there seems to be this feeling of liquid mercury about the darkness interesting and then she says but somehow i knew i couldn't make it yet couldn't go through that door yet i realized i had to stay and help the people who were crying out below so there's people crying out below <laughs> i mean at first thought I'm like, that's creepy. But then second, it's kind of cool too, kind of interesting. I mean, are these people somewhere in the depth of the darkness below her? Or are they crying from the earth plane somewhere in the back of her mind? I, you know, what, what does that mean? I would love to hear more detail, but there are people crying out below. And the fact that she says that I had to stay and help the people who are crying out below, are these people that are on the earth who have missions to fulfill and their spirits are crying out saying, no, you can't leave yet. You still have to, 
you know, work with me on this or do this with me so that I can complete my mission as well. I don't know. Again, we don't have any detail, enough detail to to say, but I thought this was well worth sharing because of those little details. Let's go with another. SK says, first experience. I had been struggling with an abdominal infection for several months and no antibiotic worked. One afternoon, as I lay in bed, I knew that I was dying. I was rushed to the hospital and promptly fell into an altered state, accompanied by a very high fever. At one point, I woke up and wondered why I had been, why they had put me in such a tall bed. I was at least eight feet off the floor and could see my mother sitting beside the bed way down there. It was a brief experience, and I fell into a coma. Second experience. I was recovering well from an abdominal surgery, but developed peritonitis. Peritonitis. Again, I knew that I was dying, and suddenly I found myself lying in a casket that was lined with white tufted satin, and all my family and friends were filed by, filing by, looking at me and crying. I was then pulled out and was presented with an option to stay or leave. I thought of my two sons and decided to stay. I was then told that I had a very special purpose and that I must always be true to myself. At that time, I was a rock musician and could not read or write music. A few months later, fully recovered, I sat down one night at my piano and fell asleep. When I awoke ten hours later, I had a completed symphony before me. Since then, I have become an accomplished classical composer and conductor, and I find myself playing the role as spirit guide to many people. I feel that I am a walk-in. Interesting. Okay, that's that's the end of the experience. I love this be- for several reasons. First off, another one of these examples. He says, or she says, it's not clear if it's a man or a woman. Um, this person says that they wondered why they were put in such a tall bed. They're at least eight feet off the floor. Which kind of makes me wonder what position their spirit body was in because was it in a laying position they just didn't notice that the there was no bed below them or were they just up high and not really seeing their body or you know what what was the what, what was going on in the mind apparently nothing in terms of positioning because they just wondered why they were in such a tall bed and then they could see their mother sitting below the bed down below and then they fell into a coma. Interesting. It follows along with that first one that we read uh, with Shabani. Um, how natural it feels. And then uh, next we've got, uh, as the second experience, um, as she's recovering, uh, she knows she's dying again, and then she finds herself in a casket, in the coffin, and looking up at people. Now, you might assume by this, since it, doesn't say so and if I hadn't read a lot of other experiences I would also assume that she must have woke up in the casket and probably gave the people a great fright I doubt that's the case in fact I suspect what she or he was seeing was a potential future that if you just choose to die right now 
this is going to happen. You're, the people are going to walk by, you're going to be in the casket, and so forth like that. And maybe it's something that eventually would happen in the distant future, but there are many who see, um, again, kind of an Ebenezer Scrooge-like afterness uh, to the death, you know, as if it's, you know, the week after the death or whatever, which seems strange to us, but it happens often enough that I'm, I've come to realize that it's not strange at all in the sense of, it's not an outlier. It's not something that, that we would say, you know, wait a minute, how could they see their coffin if nobody's bought a coffin yet? Remember that in the spirit form, time is different. It, most people say it doesn't exist. It's not, it's not a thing. So seeing the past, present, or future, it's not, it doesn't matter. Whatever that means, um, seeing their, you know, a week after their death, the people walking past the casket is totally quite common. Let's just put it that way. More common to see things as they are in the moment, but this is not uncommon to see a future aspect. So I suspect that, that uh, this person probably woke up in the hospital bed or wherever they were at the time. Um, but, um, this last part, very interesting also. I would be interested in hearing from a doctor about this because I've heard of head trauma that brings on a form of, of, um, savantism, which is, is this idea of an injury or, or birth defect whereby they may be mentally impaired in some way, perhaps, but there is an absolute ability with music or, or art or whatever it is. Maybe they've you know, never touched a keyboard and they walk right up and they just start playing this gorgeous symphony, or not symphony, a, a piano piece on the piano, or, or sit down and paint something remarkable. You know, They call it savantism or, or a savant. And uh, this person seems to have a few months after the experience that they had, this near-death experience, the second near-death experience, mind you, um, sat down at the piano, probably been playing by ear, I imagine. Uh, um, now that I think about it, it doesn't say anything about... Oh, no, no, it does. It says, uh, I was a rock musician and could not read or write music, so they probably could jam on the guitar, maybe play drums, something like that, maybe had a good voice or whatever, and uh, but then sat down at a piano and fell asleep. Whether they could play the piano at all is unclear, but when they awoke 10 hours later, and 10 hours is a long time to sleep, but especially at a piano, I had a completed symphony before me. Now, did that have to do with the piano? I don't know. It sounds to me like a an after effect that was triggered by the piano. Now that's bizarre and ridiculous, but I mean, that's, that's the kind of weird things that can sometimes happen to people who've had near death experiences. There's something bizarre and amazing and miraculous. It can just take place. And, they, and this person says, since then I've become an accomplished classical composer and find myself playing the role as spirit guide to many people, which is another great point. Spirit guides, we always think of as uh, guardian angels, people on the other side of the veil helping us. 
but I've never heard this term used as being a spirit guide to other people in the flesh. I think that's cool. I think that's cool. And then the person says, I feel like I'm walking. <laughs> they, they showed up for a near-death experience and the miracles that accompanied the after effects, all that stuff. Um, it's kind of like walk in, show up. Oh, uh, hey, uh, we weren't planning on seeing you, but hey, here we go. You know, <laughs> so very interesting. Uh, great experiences there, and uh, and I think they were all worth sharing because of their um, just just the nature of them, the the little details that they give, the data points that we can use to try to form something of a picture of the other side. Now I would like to share a message that I got. Uh, from an anonymous person uh, by email, and uh, it, very interesting insights uh, that, that she gives. Okay, she says, Dear Chaz, I wanted to thank you to say thank you for your podcast. To explain, I've had some sort of faith crisis lately. I grew up with two parents who are spiritual but not religious in their own words. I've tried just about every church under the sun, and I can't seem to fit in somewhere. I feel the need to go to church, to a church for some reason. It helps to have a community. Eventually, we did end up converting to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints about five years ago, but I haven't been 100% happy with some of the decisions the church has made, and it's a little stressful to have to be so committed, especially for someone who didn't grow up with this lifestyle. So we have been mostly active, but feeling guilty for this. When everything happened with Sam Young, I was thinking about leaving the church and was even questioning the existence of Jesus and to some degree God, at least in the traditional sense. Then I found your podcast prior to knowing anything about your religion. Your podcast brought me back to the idea that that isn't that it isn't about religion what religion you are but it's more about unconditional love unconditionally loving one another the experiences that you share really bring me closer to god and what his actual plan is not so black and white as the church makes it seem but very loving and forgiving graceful even i have actually been able to consider going back to church with this newfound vision that i have seeing others as god sees them as they are humans who make mistakes just like me, but mostly good spirits. When you shared your experience about your grandmother, I suddenly knew you were a member of my church, and it made me wonder if God had orchestrated the whole thing to bring me back there, even if I am not the perfect Mormon woman, if there is such a thing. It touched me so much to know that she was sent back here specifically to comfort you, and that our purpose doesn't have to be impactful to millions, that even just helping to comfort one person is a worthy cause on this planet. I have to tell you that my mother herself has had a near-death experience in some ways. She had a rough childhood. and I'm going to skip down a little bit. There's a little bit of uh, detail there that's very specific to her uh, incident, so I'm going to and very personal, but she says, when she was a teenager, she tried to commit suicide. She remembers a man, a guardian of angel of, a guardian angel of sorts, in the hospital at her bedside, repeatedly saying, no, 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 which she interpreted as, no, it's not your time yet. Her mother never saw the man and thought she was hallucinating, 
But after that experience, my mother always thought there was something out there, but she was willing to admit that she didn't know exactly what. My father loves to study quantum mechanics, to study energy in the universe, and that, and that is his idea of God. Everything is energy, and that is God. What I do know is this. I'm not perfect, but now I know that now I know what I'm supposed to do. Love my fellow humans in all their imperfections. And that is all thanks to your podcast for bringing me back to God's true purpose for my life. Thank you for that. And then she signs it. What a beautiful comment. Thank you so much. I, this is exactly the kind of thing that I hope people will get out of it, is that, is that it's okay that we don't all agree on religious things. It's okay because we're, it, it's, we have a higher purpose as individuals, as people, as a whole. And uh, a few thoughts that I had about this, um, and uh, to make it clear to anybody else who, who may be new to the podcast, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I consider myself a dyed-in-the-wool, true blue, through-and-through Mormon, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, I, and I'm very proud of my heritage, and, and I love my church and so forth, and yet I understand totally how people would struggle with a lot of the things that that are taught either in the church or what you know some of the culture of of the members of the church and so forth i totally get that and while i don't try to push my religion or any particular religion on this podcast particularly i do think there is a special place in the near-death experience community for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, for the simple reason that it does fall in line with a lot of the doctrines. Now, if I were to go and just start sharing near-death experiences in Sunday school, you'd have a lot of, you know, raised eyebrows and so forth. What? You know, just because, like any other religion, these things aren't taught in their uh, fullness as we teach, try to share them in places like this podcast. And then, of course, there's lots of ideas, such as the concept of uh, reincarnation and things like, you know, uh, the crazy color spectrum that you can see on the other side and the sounds and, and, you know, the particulars about what the spirit world looks like that just don't come up in religions and for good reason. I mean, I mean, either they have to base their religion on what random people who have near-death experiences are experiencing, which would be a very difficult way to run a religion because how do you keep that organized and, and keep it from uh, chaos? And also, it's a matter of, it's not really pertinent to what they're trying to teach. And so, you know, I don't consider this uh, study of near-death experiences as being inconsistent with religion. And yet I also understand why some religious communities reject it, if you will, or at least don't embrace it fully as part of their religious experience. Anyway, another point that I wanted to make, and, and I think this uh, listener uh, voiced it so well, is that whatever religious inclinations you have, if, if you were, you know, let me put it this way, 
unless you are just anti-religion, unless you're just like, eh, no churches for me. I am, <laughs> I am my own man or woman or whatever. You know, unless you're just anti-religion, I would highly encourage you, whatever your religious affiliation is, to attend. Go to the community events that the church holds. Do the things, the events and so forth, and attend church on whatever day it is that your church meets. Be involved. And I say this for a number of reasons. One, it will feed your spirit. That's just a fact. I mean, when when you uh, get involved in spiritual-related things, it's going to feed your spirit. Now, be comfortable with the fact that sometimes you will hear things by people at church or maybe even leaders or whatever that you don't agree with. That's okay. That's okay. Just have in your heart your own feelings about things. Certainly pray about them so that you can develop your own relationship with God and how he wants you to think about this particular thing that has come up or or question or whatever. But then be okay with the fact that you don't feel the same about everything that everybody else a church does. Now, you're going to come across people that are like, no, you can't feel that way. And just just have a little inside chuckle. You know, that's all right. You can think that. It's something that occurred to me um, recently is that people who have unique ideas are great people to learn from. And people that are delved very deep in particular religious affiliations are really easy to serve. And both are worthwhile. Somebody who is deep in their religion, let's just say, you know, I, I wish I knew more about the Catholic faith, but let's say somebody is a, a deep, die-hard, true blue, through and through uh, member of the Catholic Church and just absolutely devotes their life to that. Somebody in that situation, it would be very easy to know what you can do for them that they would appreciate. Some, whether it be, you know, again, I don't know the Catholic religion all that well, but whether it be giving them an art piece or, or something that uh, is a reminder of, of their, uh, the kind of covenants that they make or the, the uh, promises they make or, or their baptism uh, or whatever it is, it's so easy to serve somebody who's predictable in their beliefs. And somebody who is, has very interesting, diverse, and unique beliefs they are a really good person to learn from and a really good person to get different ideas about things. Now, either one of these groups uh, or individuals are going to have differing opinions with you. Of course they will. Of course they will. And they should. And that's good because that's how we harmonize. We have differences. But consider that people who you are very much like are easy to get along with and understand. People who are very different, they're the ones you harmonize with. They're the ones that you that your differences can complement one another. And that's one of the reasons I say, whatever your religious affiliations, go to church. Go to church. Unless, again, you're totally anti-religious, which is fine. That's up to you, you know, how you want to do that. But go to church because, as as Howard Storm has said, he he, he said this too. It's like, I don't care what church you go to. You, you just go and, and be there to serve and bless other people. Because if you, in a church setting, you're more likely to be 
involved in a community that is local. And in a local community, it's so much easier to look after each other's needs. And remember, this whole life review, the lesson of the life review is what you do here, the little acts of service and love, they matter. And they are really, really important. And if it's a choice between sitting at home maybe even reading scriptures or, or meditating or whatever you do for your own spiritual feeling, if it's between that and, and meeting with a community, many of whom in the community need service or a, a, an arm around their shoulder or whatever, for heaven's sake, do the thing that's going to reach out to people. And if you are totally anti-religious, like, no, no, no religion for me, then join a library group or join a book club, get involved in the events in your community because that's how you're going to be making a difference in the world. Not from being involved in this particular thing itself, but because of the exposure that you will have to other human beings in your community who need your help. Now, some people are tempted to think, well, I need to go open a foundation in Africa to save starvation People are starving and so forth. And, you know, if you got the money to do that, great, fabulous, go, go do it. Most of us don't. Most of us never will. And we won't have the means to do something like that. But anybody can get involved in their religious communities or their, or their social communities, whatever. And we should because there's so much good we can do there. And with the insights that you have as a spiritual being and, and as somebody on a spiritual journey, you'll be able to be as... Uh, the one uh, experiencer mentioned, you might end up being a spirit guide to someone else. And don't be concerned if they don't follow your spiritual uh, beliefs. That's, that's, that's not your place to uh, push that on them anyway. You share and let them accept or reject what they will. And, that, and, and it's true. There's many who hear that kind of thing and they'll say, yeah, that's what people need to do about me. And that's not the point. They haven't heard this. They may not know what's coming up in their life review. And so, it's you know, don't worry about them. Don't worry about that. Just just have your little internal chuckle. Just, just remember to internally chuckle about just about anything that bothers you about what people do. And sometimes people are going to offend you. And that's unfortunate. But let it go. Remember, forgiveness is really powerful. And forgiving someone for a an offense against you, albeit... A, a truly deep offense sometimes just just let it go because in your life review you're going to see how incredibly powerful it was to let that go and how much problems you prevented for yourself and and your loved ones um it rarely makes a difference for the person um on the other side of it anyway but it will change your life and if you are there the next week because you didn't let the offense draw you away and then you were able to put your arm around someone who was just having a hard day, that was totally worth coming back for. Totally worth it. So again, go, be involved. Here's the other thing that I'm going to say about going to church, whatever your church is. I have found that, you know, um, you know, for me, the, the talk of of Christ and God and so forth is deeply meaningful to me and there is a great deal of that yes and I appreciate that possibly the most but the next most common thing 
that is discussed is life skills. I mean, I, I've, I've left church some days and thinking, man, you know, I don't even know if we talked about any religious dogmas today, but I don't know how somebody raises children without having had this kind of a lesson. Because we talk about, you know, how do we deal with our teenagers? You know, what do you do when your kid comes home and is barking at you about this when they did this and that happened? And, or else, how do I survive my toddler's, <laughs> you know, terrible twos without locking them in the bedroom for the rest of their lives, which, which is so tempting at times, you know, just given getting those life skills for parents. I mean, it doesn't matter what religion you are. Those are going to be beneficial. And then the life skills of marriage. Oh my goodness. Wow. The opportunity and the discussions that they have on how to serve your companion. I mean, there is so much of families that could be saved in this world if people would just attend church and listen. You know, even if they just, you know, chuckled off internally the things that they don't believe. Yeah, okay. But they're going to hear things like, oh, I never thought of it from that perspective in terms of how my wife might see things, in terms of how my husband might be thinking about this particular situation that we're in. It never occurred to me. And when you go home and you talk with them or ask them, how do you feel about this? And you find out that you've been just seeing it in a different light and therefore you've been fighting something that should not be fought but rather nurtured or maybe not fought but rather healed. Those lessons, they, they, that's about half in my understanding uh, or my experience of what I'm learning at church. At least half of what I'm learning is life skills. And I mean, it's like, it's kind of like a, a, a life coach, therapist, uh, you know, a family class all rolled into one. I mean, they even have classes for financial budgeting classes and family history classes, which to the near-death experience community is particularly interesting because of the people they're meeting on the other side and so forth. There is so much of to, to be offered in a religious community that, I mean, really, if, if you can, just attend. It's, it's, there's so much to, to be gained from it. So anyway, I, I probably went on and on about that, but I thought that was such a great comment that she made and, uh, and what a great way to bring it up. So thank you again to that listener. If you would like to leave a comment or share your experience or just ask a question, please um, email neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or you can call 970-NDE-CAST and that will get you straight to me. And these uh, podcasts are about a week to a week and a half, soon to be two weeks in advance. I try to... Um, I'm usually recording two a day, three days a week, and so I'm slowly getting further and further ahead. So if you don't hear answered for a while, it could be that it's just coming. If two or three weeks have passed and you haven't heard anything, email me, email me again. I'm, I'm not the most tech-savvy person. Sometimes I accidentally click, mark all is unread, and never see it, things like that. But I do want to hear your comments. I do want to share your experiences and... Uh, 
And if you would like to be interviewed, contact me by those same means, and I would love to interview you uh, about your experience. So with that, thank you all of you again so much for listening.